please open your Bible over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, Prayer and the Great Commission. Now, as we have been going verse by verse through 1 Timothy, we saw in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, dealing mainly, it was mainly autobiographical, Paul the Apostle was writing this letter to Timothy, a young pastor, and we believe he passed through the church at Ephesus. But his autobiographical in chapter 1, Paul talking about himself and his own salvation, and then it was also coupled, of course, with theology, okay? A truth about God and his word. It is foundational. What's in chapter 2 is foundational based on, of course, chapter 1, and it builds as it goes on. Chapter 2 begins talking about not only the mission, but also the operation of the church. In other words, not only what we're supposed to do, but how we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. In other words, how it is to function. So 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So the first thing mentioned when he starts talking now about the function, the mission and the function of the church, isn't it very interesting that he not only mentions prayer first, but he says that is first. That is first. Now, we don't usually think in those terms. See, prayer is an interesting thing. With many people, it's not something they desire very much. With most of us, it's not something we spend a lot of time doing. And really, sometimes hard to understand exactly how it all works, okay? Now, I know there's, there's simple explanation. Prayer is talking to God. We bring a request. He either answers it, yes, no, or wait. And so wait would be a temporary no. I get that. But beyond that, I don't think we totally get it. How it all works and how God moves and, and what he does behind the scenes, how he deals with, with angels as an example in answer to our prayer or keeping, keeping uh, anyways, I'm getting off track. Here's the point though. The first thing mentioned is prayer. It is the first responsibility for us to remember as we set out to have ministries that honor God and are effective. A prayerless church is a powerless church. One theologian used to say, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. I said, well, I don't know if that's really true. If we just get busy. No, listen, that is, we see that in scripture and I think we're gonna see some of that here today. It is the first responsibility for us to remember. And this is not an accident because prayer is a vital aspect of the work of God. Prayer is a vital aspect of the work of God. It is an offensive weapon in spiritual warfare that we are in. How often we see prayer, though, unfortunately, as a last resort and not the first resort. I believe prayer is a part of the spiritual armor we are to put on in Ephesians 6. Not everybody sees that, but if you read the text in chapter 6 where it starts talking about the warfare and putting on the armor of God, it is a continuation from what people usually term see as the armor of God. Prayer then is the last thing in that mentioned. As a matter of fact, turn with me over, hold your place here and look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me. And we see here uh, many things mentioned, verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, 
Verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, etc. It goes through. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying. There he is. There was no period there, okay? Praying with all prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, perseverance in prayer. How about that? Perseverance in prayer. That means we keep doing it. Now, unfortunately, with most of us, we think in terms of, you know what? Isn't it good enough if I just pray one time, forget about this? Well, that's not what the Bible says. Remember, much prayer, much power. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And Paul says, remember, it started with praying always. And he says, and for me. In other words, and be praying for me. That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul said, I need your prayers about that. Why? Well, because there's opposition. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. So we see the importance of prayer. Now, now what are these, getting back to 1 Timothy 2, 1, what are these differences, so to speak, or why is prayer talked about in four different ways here? Well, let me define the words, and that can be helpful. And I won't go into deep definitions, but the first one is a supplication. A supplication is simply that God would supply a need. Supplication, supply. God would supply a need. There's a need that God would supply it. Maybe you have a need. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's you need a new car. You need this. You need that. That God would supply the need. That's a supplication. Secondly, prayer. You might say, well, aren't they all prayer? In a sense, yes. But I think Honestly, I think this, when it mentions prayer, it's talking about simply talking to God about any situation. This is what it is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where it says, pray without ceasing. What is that talking about? It's talking to the Lord all day long. It's living in fellowship with him and talking to him, okay? Pouring your heart out to him, just obviously in a reverent way, in a respectful way, in humility, of course, because we are fallible people and he is the infallible, almighty, omnipotent God, but he's our heavenly father and we have the privilege to simply talk to him each and every day. I think that's what prayer is here is talking about. It is a daily natural talking to the Lord. It is consciously walking by faith in fellowship with the Lord. And it can take place anywhere and at any time. You want to do something refreshing when you're driving in your car? Turn your stereo off or your radio off and just pray. Talk to the Lord while you're driving. Now I'd really recommend you keep your eyes open, especially if you have a self-driving car. Not many people have one of those yet. Don't you think that's the craziest thing? You talk about the ultimate trust in a machine? No thanks. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. But talking to God, that's what prayer is. The third one, intercessions. Now, this is interesting. This is to pray to the Lord for the need of another. That the Lord would step in and that he would work in a particular situation. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example of this that every one of you who comes on Wednesday night understands. Almost all of the prayer requests on Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study are intercessory prayers. 
We are interceding for other people. There's a list of needs, many of them serious. Okay, as a matter of fact, the one that God answered on Friday is one that has been on that list. And you're praying on behalf of someone else that the Lord would step in and work, okay? Almost all the requests, and I don't know about you, I don't really pray that much for myself except God would help me be better, those kind of things. But I know a lot of the prayer that we pray is intercessory prayer. We're praying for other people, hurting people, sick people, troubled people, people who have gotten away from the Lord, believers who have fallen away and are not not walking with them. Oh, they're still saved. They're children of God if they trusted Christ, but they're far away from God and we're interceding on their behalf. We're taking them, Lord, please work in this person's life. That's intercessory prayer. And then the last one, and I think this is tremendous, giving of thanks. You see, folks, thanksgiving is the fruit of praying in faith. If we are praying in faith, we are praying with thanksgiving. Why do I say that? It is inseparably, thanksgiving is inseparably linked to praise. We bring our request to the Lord and we leave it with him, believing he will perfectly deal with it and thanking him for the answer he will give regardless of what it is leaving it, giving it to him, okay? If this booklet was my prayer request, is I'm taking it to the throne of grace and I'm giving it to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, you know my heart, you know my desire. Here is this request. Lord, I am giving it to you. You are so good. You are so wise, Lord. I'm giving it to you and I thank you for hearing my prayer and you're gonna take care of it. That's thanksgiving. Isn't that just pure? That's the way it's supposed to be, folks. That's the way it's supposed to be. See, this goes perfectly with Hebrews eleven six, where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is God. And th- listen, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him our rewarder. Have you ever thought of Hebrews eleven six in terms of prayer? We come by faith. The Lord says, I'm, I'm going to reward you because of your faith, and we can get that request. I know we don't get everything we ask, but we can get that request. In terms of our church, now this is true of our personal lives, but the context in 1 Timothy 2 is ministry. In terms of our church, think of what we have in our church here that is a direct result of prayer. Think of it. I mean, there's stuff everywhere around you that is a result of prayer. This building, these people, all that God gives us, the sustenance of of life, so much that is here. Think of what we wouldn't have if we would not have prayed for things. Now, that's something to think about. But also think about what we do not have because we haven't prayed for it yet. James touches on it, doesn't he, in chapter four, where he says, you lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, and then he says this, yet ye have not because ye ask not. How much don't we have? Now, I'm not talking about material wealth. I'm talking about 
seeing the blessing of God, the goodness of God, the working of God in lives, and in our lives even. How much do we not have because we have not asked? That God would in fact give us if we would just ask. If we would take that and go to the Lord and make that a supplication, first type of prayer. So we see the first thing mentioned, Paul tells Timothy, the first thing you need to have And the first thing you need to think about before you ever step out the door, so to speak, is you need to be praying, praying. Let prayer create a trail to where you can now, now that you've got a clearing in the bush, now you can go forward unhindered to accomplish the work that God has for you to do. Which brings us to our second point, and it is this. We see in our text the who and why of prayer. The who and why of prayer. Who should we pray for and why should we do it? Now, this becomes very, very practical and very mission-minded when it comes to the Word of God. First thing we see here is, and it's not listed, but it's obvious there in verse 1, Prayers be made for all men. So we obviously, it's a given. We should pray for everybody. But let's get specific. And we see first here in verse 2, for kings and all that are in authority. For kings and all that are in authority. Now, in our country, we would say this, for those who think they're kings and all who are in authority. And of course, anyone else, that would go along with verse 1. But in verse 2, notice it says, for kings... And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, the importance of prayer cannot be overstated. And while it isn't all God wants us to do, it certainly plays a vital part in accomplishing his will in the world and fulfilling the ministry he's called us to. Because we need to pray. You know, we obviously should be praying every day, obviously pray without ceasing, but don't we always, when we are facing a project or an event here, don't we make that a huge matter of prayer? Be praying for that, that God would work and that souls would be saved in all of those things that we do. Absolute necessity. Notice that we are to be praying for all those in authority. You know what? We fail a lot on that, don't we? Most of the time, we are heavy on criticism and light on prayer. But that's people, unfortunately. And that's part of the areas where we're flawed as God's children. We love to criticize. But how often do we pray instead of criticize? You might say, well, I pray. I've been praying for President Biden. To my knowledge, he hasn't trusted Christ as a Savior yet. But I'll pray, I'll pray for his salvation. Think about it, folks. We need to be praying for his salvation, right? Now, I don't know if he's trusted Christ or not. Probably not. Most people haven't. It's not a slam on him. Most people haven't. But here's the fact. Isn't that the least we can do for the man? Is pray for him? You notice why? So that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. This is why we need to be praying for those in authority. Most of the time, we criticize. See, prayer can at least slow down the deterioration of our country. It may not turn it around. Now, then again, it might. 
People are praying for what they call revival. I don't think that's a good word for what they're asking for. You have to have something to revive. If you're not a child of God, you need to be born again. You need more than revival. You need to be born again. Well, it's just the term we use. Well, it's a bad term. But anyways, that's another subject. Here's the point, though. Should we be praying for our nation? Yes. Should we be praying that our nation would turn to the Lord? Yes, we ought to be praying that. Should we be praying for the lost to trust Christ as their Savior? Yes, because listen, any permanent change has to begin on the inside, not on the outside. We don't need more laws. We need more people saved. We need more Christians who are saved, dedicated to Christ, and living their lives for him. That's what we need. Not more laws that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. The word quiet, it's interesting. This means outward tranquility. Outward tranquility. In other words, that our nation and the world, but in particular, when we think about it, our nation would be at peace. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? We ought to be praying for our leadership that they would trust Christ and that they would make wise judgment based on the principles we find in the word of God. And then that we may lead a quiet and then peaceable. Peaceable has to do with inward tranquility. So quiet, peace on the outside, peaceable, peace on the inside. It's all good. Why in the world would you want to ban that from the public schools? What's the result? Well, hate to say it, but look what's happening. So in other words, what would be that? We see the first, the who and why of prayer. We need to be praying for everybody, of course, but for kings and all in authority. But you notice why? So that we can freely operate and do ministry, verse 2. So that we can freely operate and do ministry. Now listen, folks, the work of the church is going to go on regardless of whether there's persecution or not. But wouldn't it be nice that we don't spend all of our time in court defending ourselves or in jail, and I understand that's, you know, that's something that needs to be done, and there are Christians in jail, and that's going to be, and it's probably going to get worse as time goes on, and I think persecution will probably increase in our country. We don't know that. I hope not. Let's pray for our nation. But why? So that we can be free and accomplish the work that God has given us to do. I read something, it was just a little clip this morning, a news, news headline on a Christian news site, And they said this, this is ironic. We could very well be facing a shortage in Bibles. Do you know why? Listen to this. Because China is cracking down on Christianity and other religions in China. You might say, well, I don't get it. Do you know how many Bibles are being printed in China? You might say, that doesn't make sense. It's all about money. It's all about money. As a matter of fact, after the service, not now. Now, I know some of you are going to do this anyway. Go ahead, just do it. Look at the front of your Bible and see where it was printed. See where the paper was printed or the, the, the block, the text block was printed. The very front of your Bible. Now, if you have an older Bible, it'll probably be United States or Great Britain or Belgium or someplace like that. But a lot of your Bibles now are actually printed in China. And then they send the text blocks to the United States and then they bind them here. Isn't that the craziest thing? You might say, well, the Chinese don't believe it. Well, duh. But it's all about money. 
No, we need to pray so that we can freely operate and do ministry. Anybody here want to raise your hand and say, yeah, mine was printed in China. Anybody? There's one, two. Oh, wow, look at this. Okay. I don't want to have anything to do with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's see. Mine was printed Belgium. Belgium. So it's a European one, huh? A European King James. Okay. We need to be praying so that we can freely operate as a ministry, but not only that, let's move on now, verses three through seven, and here's where it gets really interesting, and we see the urgency of prayer. We need to be praying so that people will be saved. People will be saved. Don't you think for a second praying for the salvation of individuals doesn't matter? There is nothing closer to the heart of God that he wants to answer in the affirmative than the salvation of a soul. Nothing. He can't make it happen because he gives man a free will. But you can be sure that as we pray, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting that person of their need for Christ. You can be sure of it. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And it is the will of God. Verse three, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved. That isn't just their divorce from verses one and two. It's part of it. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. I need to draw your attention to two important facts and blessings found in verses three and four. Do you notice the first thing here? It is God's will that all be saved. Do you see that? How many of you see that? According to the Bible, according to the Bible, it is God's will that all be saved. We see that in verse four. Who, referring to God, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. God does not want anyone to go to hell, and he has provided a payment for sin for everyone. We can say, this is the beauty of true Christianity, folks. We can say with certainty to anyone that we meet, God loves you, and he sent his son, Jesus, to die for your sins. And if you will believe in him as your savior, God will save you and he gives you everlasting life. You can say that to anyone you meet. Why? Because that is exactly what verse four says. Who will have all men to be saved. What is God's will? God's will is that all men would be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. And of course, when it talks about men, it's talking about mankind. Hold your place here in 1 Timothy. Go with me to John chapter three. This beautiful message of the gospel that we shared over and over and over. This beautiful message of grace. This beautiful message of salvation. We see it in eyewitness the people who were not even saved and they knew John 3.16. I said, well, let's look at it. Have you ever stopped to think about what it's talking about? Let's look at it together. And some of them who saw it trusted Christ as their savior. They never understood it before. Look at it. For God so loved the world. Who did he love? The world. That's what it says. We do not believe in Calvinism around here. Calvinism is a false, evil doctrine. Calvinism says, as a matter of fact, Calvinists who believe it actually say you really shouldn't be telling people that God loves them and that they should be saved. Because maybe they're not one of the elect. 
And so you're giving them a false hope. That's crazy, okay? If you just believe what the Bible says, you don't have a problem with this issue. Calvinism is a man-made philosophy. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The word world means world, means everybody in it. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, who's the whosoever referring to? The people of the world. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, because the world is already condemned, but that the world through him might be saved. You notice in verse four that it is God's will that all be saved, and that is why Jesus came, as we will see in verse six, to be a ransom for all. Let me illustrate this morning. Perhaps you've never seen this before. Perhaps you're watching us for the first time over the internet. Let me explain something to you, dear friend. It's the greatest news in all the world. This hand representing you and me, we're going to let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong. That's sin. We are sinners, all of us, including me. God loves us, though. God loves us. How do I know that? We just read it. For God so loved the world. I'm part of the world. He loves me. For God so loved the world, okay? God loves us. He hates our sin. Our sin separates us from him. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin, not even one lie. God says we've all sinned, and he says our sin has to be paid for. He's a just God. He demands a payment for sin. We have violated his law. We've broken his law. He demands a payment for sin. He says the wages of sin is death means we would not only have to die physically, but be separated from God for all eternity in a real hell. Yet, folks, God says he loves us. He does not want us to go there. Now, religions come along and they say, well, the way you take care of the sin problem is you behave yourself or you promise God you're going to stop or start new things. You're going to reform your life. You're going to change this. You're going to stop your bad habits. All these different things to try to or obey the commandments even, try to be good, try to follow the Bible. But none of those things pay for sin. That's just you trying to behave. That doesn't take away the sin. The sin has to be gone. So what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do of ourselves. And that is the whole reason Jesus came to earth. God in the flesh, this hand representing him, He came to earth, he lived his perfect life, God in the flesh, and when he went to the cross, he made the payment for your sin and my sin. He paid for the sin of your whole lifetime. When he died, all of your sin was in the future because you hadn't been born yet. He died for all your sin, died for my sin. And when he died, he took it upon himself and he made the payment in our place. He came and he died in our place and made the payment necessary for us. He paid for our sins so we don't have to. And he rose from the grave. He says this, all he's asking us to do is believe in him that he did that for us. He did all the work. A death payment had to be made. That's the only thing God would accept as payment for sin is death. Jesus did it. And he says in his word that if you believe he did it for you, you put your faith in him, the moment you do, that payment is good on your behalf. God puts that payment to your account. He gives you his righteousness. 
So all he's asking you to do is believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Two promises to the one who believes. You won't perish, that would be go to hell, but you have everlasting life. You go to heaven. See, friend, if all my sin is gone, what is there to send me to hell? There's nothing. Why? Because that's why you'd go there is because you need a payment for sin. But Jesus did it. And when you believe he did it for you, it's good on your behalf. Therefore, there's nothing to send you to hell. And if you don't have any sin, by the way, you can go to heaven. And all he's asking us to do is believe. What a wonderful truth that is, right? What a wonderful truth. Now, let's get back. Again, notice in verse 4 that it is God's will that all be saved. And that is why Jesus came to be a ransom. By the way, this issue of God's will that, to, that all would be saved. You know, verse 4, if you look at verse 4, who will have all men to be saved, if that is God's will, then isn't it true then that it would be open to everyone? If his will is all be saved, then isn't the offer for everyone? If you look at verse 4 and what it's saying, it puts an end to the false teaching of Calvinism. Let me show you another verse. Hold your place here and look with me to Luke 19. It says in Luke 19, in verse 10, Jesus is speaking. Now remember, it says, it's God's will that all be saved in 1 Timothy 2.4. Luke 19.10, Jesus said this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Question, how many of us were lost? All of us. Then who did he come to seek and save? All of us. Not just the elect, not just particular ones, predetermined by God that those are the ones he's going to choose out of the human race to go to heaven. No, friend, that's not how it works. Jesus came, he died for the sins of the whole world, not just those who were saved, and he paid the price, and he came to save all of us because he said so himself. And therefore, all who would believe are given the gift of eternal life. So let's go back to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 4. Again, 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says, Who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. By the way, you might say, okay, if it's God's will that all be saved, then why aren't all people saved? Well, the answer to that is this. This points to the fact that God gave man the ability to choose. So God has provided the payment for everyone's sins. Everyone's sins. Remember, that's what the Bible says. He paid for the sins of the whole world, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. If he did that, then why isn't everyone saved? Because not everyone decides that they will trust in Jesus Christ to save them. They don't believe in him as their savior. If they would, he'd save them, he'd give them eternal life. But there are people who say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I think I need to behave. No, I think I can deserve it. I can earn it. You can't, friend. The Bible says very clearly, as it says up here, for by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast." This is why, while it is God's will that they all be saved, not everyone will be saved. Why? Because they will not 
believe. The Lord leaves that decision up to man whether he is going to believe or not. Let's go to our third point this morning, and it is this. We see not only, first and foremost, we saw the importance of prayer, and then secondly, the who and why of prayer, but now we see, thirdly, we see the one who makes it worthwhile to pray. (laughs) You know, if you were praying to me to answer your prayers, you're barking up the wrong tree. I can't do it. Now, I can be part of the answer to your prayer if it's something that would apply to me to where I can help you. That's one thing. But God is the one who answers prayers. Verses five through seven. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. See, Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and men. He is not only the Savior, he is also the prayer answerer, okay? No other person can be the mediator because you need somebody qualified to be the mediator between God and men. He is fully God and perfect man. Look up here, let me illustrate this. If this is us over here, we are sinners. We are separated from God. If if this is like a cliff on a mountain, there's a valley here, And here's the other cliff over here. Here we are. Here is God. There's an expanse between the two. You can never make it over that by your good works. It is impossible. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. The space is too great. What we need is we need somebody who can make it possible for God and man to connect, to come back together to be reconciled, okay? And that is where Jesus came in. He is God in the flesh. He is man. He was a perfect man, and yet fully God. And when he died on the cross, he made the way to bring man back to God. It is through the message of the cross, the gospel, that man can come back to God. This is how it works. And we see this. There's one mediator between God and men. Notice he's between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now the word ransom, it means means to purchase freedom. To purchase freedom. To exchange something for something else. That's a ransom. Jesus paid the ransom price to purchase us out of the slave market of sin so we could be the children of God. And what was it the price? What was the price he paid? It was his blood. His blood was the ransom payment for sin. Peter says redemption through his blood. We've been redeemed, we've been bought out of the slave market of sin. Paul says in verse seven, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in verity. The only way for man to be reconciled back to God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood to make the payment necessary for us to be reconciled back to God. So we need to be praying. We need to be fervently praying. We need to be praying without ceasing. And we need to be praying for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, 
so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now listen, the quiet and peaceable life is not just so we can enjoy life, it is so we can fulfill the mission God has called us to do without more interference. The importance of prayer coupled with the importance of ministering and preaching the gospel. All right, one last verse, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. It says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, you may not see it, then again you might, but you notice verse 12? No other name. Verse 12 is an, actually, it's an excellent verse showing you that your good works can't save you. Because if your good works could save you, you are your own savior. The Bible says there's no other name that can save you except Jesus Christ. So your works will not get you to heaven. I urge you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.